FIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here's your host, Ann Chiapetta. Hi, everybody. This is Annie Chiapetta. I'm from Friends in Art, and I'm here tonight to bring you a very special edition of the Friends in Art Art Parlor. Friends in Art is a place where visually impaired artists and audiences thrive. Tonight I have with me Joan Miles. She's a wonderful poet. And Joan, before I hand it over to you, I am going to introduce you. How's that sound? Fine. Okay. Joan Miles has always been a child of wonder, as well as a spiritual seeker. When she lost her sight at the age of 12, these qualities and writing poetry saved her from despair. Joan earned a BA in education and a master's in Jewish studies. She's married and has raised four lively children. She's also worked as a rehabilitation teacher for the state of Missouri and taught Hebrew and Judaic for the state of Oregon. Her first book of poetry, One with Willows, vividly expresses Joan's childlike joy. She considers her poems to be a kind of footpath for readers, an opening into that place of delight, an invitation to awaken childlike wonder for themselves. Joan's latest collection, One Glittering Wing, represents this kind of journey, specifically through her year-long passage from the deep pain of her mother's death towards reconciliation with life. Everyone, welcome Joan Miles. Thank you, Annie. It's wonderful welcome. to be here. It took us a couple of months, I think. <laughs> Maybe more than a couple of months. Uh, COVID and whatever. Um, Life is busy. Yeah, yeah. And difficult sometimes. Yes. Well, um, we have a couple of other uh, members here with us tonight. We have Peter Alchel and um, Jason Cassingway, and they can feel free to jump in and ask questions anytime. I have some questions that I did send you ahead of time, so you have a you know, you'd be prepared for some, but there might be others. So, <laughs> um, okay. So I might jump around a little. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to know about is, uh, is tell us about your books. Um, what it's been like for you to, to publish them. So it's really been kind of a surprising turn uh, to suddenly find myself having written two little collections of poetry. I always wrote poetry, even as a child, as you mentioned. And in recent years, I started putting things up on my blog, which is uniquelymyself.com. And the responses I see were so friendly and generous and welcoming. And, and some of the people even asked me about putting together some kind of a small collection. So that is how One with Willows came about. I looked through all my poems and tried to configure something that uh, produced a meaningful journey for readers as well as myself. 
And that's mm. how that little collection came about. And then I knew I wanted to do something else after that, because, you know, Annie, once you start putting <laughs> things together, it just becomes a, a delightful habit. Yeah, it so, builds upon itself. I'm afraid so. So um, I had a difficult time with my mother's passing, and I wrote all the time afterwards because it was such a release to what I was going through. And, and then a while after that, I thought, well, maybe I can pull this together and it can bring some meaning, um, not only to myself, but to other people who maybe are looking for some kind of passageway. So that's what One Glittering Wing is. Um, it, it starts with kind of a fanciful poem about meeting God in the desert and then works through some nature poetry, which is what One with Willows is kind of all about, finding a spiritual identity within nature. And then it moves into more serious poems about isolation and loss and trying to find that spirit. Right. It led me back to spirituality. And um, it, it was a real healing process to put the collection together. And, and I hope that it can do the same kind of thing with other people, help them find their way back to some kind of personal peace and even um, some tranquility with their spiritual connection to yeah. the world and God. I, you know, when I read both of your collections and I just, after each, even each poem, I, I was a very introspective and thoughtful. It brought me to a place that was, that was very personal for me, even though the poem really pretty much had nothing to do with me personally, it just ended up uh, reflecting back on what I felt inside. And that's what I feel you, you have a gift for bringing that inner perspective to the reader. So um, oh, I, I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Can I ask a question while you were? Uh, sure, Peter, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was really interested in what you were talking about, about your second book. And you started off with this poem of sort of, a, you said a sort of a spiritual sort of, I can't remember the language you used. And then you, you went from there to sort of nature poetry and then you went to um, more serious poetry, if I heard you correctly. Can you speak more about the serious poetry that you that you went from to the nature and how you sort of ended it up? Sure. So, like I said, the first poem is kind of a fanciful imagining of of maybe my well, it's called Meeting God, and it's kind of a fanciful journey into the desert and meeting God. And then there's a poem about. Uh, my my head is in the clouds and my feet are there too. So <laughs> it's still kind of fanciful, but it gets a little more reflective. And then there's a poem about the sense of waking up in the morning and feeling like you're one with the day and with the air and wanting to be with with that sense of wonder. And, and it just keeps moving into the natural world. The main poem that's about nature is called Dancing with Emily Dickinson. And it's it's actually got um, nine parts, eight or, yeah, I think it's nine parts. Um, and each one is a little sampling of an experience in nature, but it can have other elements because there's there's this invisible presence of Emily Dickinson looming about 
you know, who also wrote all about nature. And in fact, once I started writing myself, I read some of her things and I came to love her even more because I saw the layers in her own poetry of a deep spiritual connection with nature. So there's that. And then it kind of moves out of nature and into the idea of isolation with a poem that is about, it's called Walls, and it's about the retirement home that actually is located uh, off my backyard and the sense of isolation that I imagine residents feeling there sometimes. And then it, the book kind of goes through, boy, Peter, you asked a good question, I must say. Um, uh, let's see, a, a, a questioning of how do we reach out to each other? There's a poem called The Audacity of Love, which kind of seeks to bring the idea that love is all around us, trying to find us, even as we're just going through our busy lives. And then there's one called Joy and Sadness, how these walk with us daily, but they're still, they're part of the spirit that's in the world. And as long as there is spirit, then we can, we can endure these things. And then there's a poem that's called Death. And it's actually the poem where the phrase one glittering wing is situated. And it talks about the seasons of our lives and how they, they come. It's not an, a depressing poem at all, though. It's, it's kind of a, uh, a, an understanding that all we can do is hear and seek spirit. In my poems, I use the word love with a capital L a lot. For you, the Joan, you also use the word sweetness. <laughs> That's a lot. true. I do. And yeah. I, I, one of my questions was, what do you mean by sweetness? Is it an interchangeable term for you internally and, and what, what it means to you? So for me, I don't know how that came about that I just started <laughs> using it in my poetry because it just became kind of my signature word, yeah. like you said. And yeah. when I received your questions, I thought, gee, what, what do I mean by sweetness? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I pondered that. And I really think it's an undefinable, it's like bliss. Only I think of bliss as a more grown-up understanding of the fullness of human experience. I think of sweetness as being kind of connected with the childlike element of what I try to be. And it's that, that little sparkle of life that you may not even be able to pursue, but it just happens spontaneously. Um, okay. And if, if you're really aware, then notice it mm -hmm. and yeah. hopefully cultivate it. Yeah. So, so how do you write? You know, everybody has a, do you have a place that you go? Do you have a routine that you follow? Is it completely spontaneous? What's, well, what what, what, what keeps you going in your writing? Yeah. I'm sorry. So, so it's really kind of all of those, you know, how it is when you set yourself up to be some kind of a creative person. There are, are times when you have an idea about a theme 
and you you try to find a way to start. For a long time, I would just go to my office and sit quietly and something would come. It just a word and then I would start writing and sometimes it turned out to be something wonderful and sometimes it was just kind of clearing the pipes. But a lot of one with willows is like that. And and actually one glittering wing since I was going through grief, it was a lot of just pouring out my heart and yeah. then coming back later and seeing if anything was there. But sometimes it is just a spontaneous thing and uh, the images just come. I've gotten up in the middle of the night because <laughs> I had a dream or, you know. Something you know that just, yeah, yeah, something that just needed yeah. to get to get done, to get to get yeah. out. Who who helps you uh, decide on on your titles of your poems or your books? I have a hard time with titles. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my books, my husband titles my book. He's the editor. He doesn't want any credit. So I usually mention a little note in the acknowledgments with him in mind. Um, (laughs) And as he's helping me go through the editing process, sometimes I'll say, oh, this, this, this would be a good title. I usually offer three or four titles and he says, no, that's okay. Yeah. And so he's a he's a great help. And then um a wonderful. Yeah, he's yeah. a wonderful help. And my daughter does the artwork for the cover. That was my next question. Who does your cover? So, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got that answer <laughs> to your daughters. <laughs> so and wow. and she is wonderful. She she does it with watercolor, a watercolor painting, and then she takes a picture and magically does the work. I don't know. And she listens to how how I describe the first book I said okay I want you to imagine you're lying under a willow tree and you're looking up through the branches and so that's what she did and um and then the second book it has swirls of color and black and that's kind of taken from that death poem about draping the world in purple and black but she put the center is, she said, your eye, when you look at it, is drawn to the center where it's very white. And I think that's really significant, too. So why is that um, significant to you? To me, it's significant because there are various seasons and we don't continually abide in blackness. And we need to be open to the white places if, if that's a place of light and joy. Color is a a difficult thing to associate with emotion, but to me, whiteness means like openness and possibility, kind of like the page when it is open to what we put on it. Hmm. There's a lot of places we could go is is synesthetically with uh, emotions and and color. Um, Sure. And just, you know, just because I think of love as purple doesn't mean that, you know, that's how everybody else thinks of love. So. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, so. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay. Now, I, I know you're here tonight and, and you're doing this interview, but I want to know when you started 
uh, writing your poetry and thinking about your book, did you think that you would be standing before people and performing it uh, in any way? Did you struggle with that uh, performance piece of being an artist or, you know, the written word? Well, I, I didn't actually imagine you're right. I figured here it is on a page. I can find a way to read the page. <laughs> so can everybody else. I'm not a shy person, but I tend to be kind of a private person. So, mm. you know, I have read for the local Silverton Poetry Association here in Oregon, and that was an interesting experience. But um, reading aloud is not something I would just jump to do because it is still challenging for me. Braille is my second reading language. And so it does take preparation like it does for many of us, you know? Yes. So Yes. So my follow-up question is, I know I had asked you if you'd read some of Dancing with Emily Dickinson or all of it. It's up to you. And I wanted to know if if you uh, if you're ready to do that, or would you like me to wait till a little later in the interview? I can do it now if you want. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only so I have to warn you that the pages creak a little bit. That's fine. So I'll yeah. I'll pause variously. Okay. So, okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is Dancing with Emily Dickinson. Oh, first I have to tell you, it has nine parts. So right. at the beginning of each part, you'll hear a number. Dancing with Emily Dickinson. One. Suddenly I am here, dancing with Emily. Nearby bees hum, wind harmonizes. Leaves and petals flutter and fall. We dance, cheek to cheek, twirl and sway and bow, and I breathe in morning's first intoxications, gaze into the distance, into forever, into sweetness and bliss, into the poet's heart. Two, the air gathers itself even as I gather my thoughts, slowly awaiting fullness, the promise of rain, of words. Three, we sit inside the eggshell, arms wrapped around our knees, silence wrapped around us, like a cloak mystics wear, a poet or two. And the air vibrates, bees and wasps and hummingbirds, the air itself hums. If you have ears to hear, ears in this whisper of waiting. Four, the bees speak only of purpose, of gathering and sowing and gathering again, of mating and feeding and mating again of harmony and sweetness and the varied colors of life. Five, it is enough. Emily plucks a clover, places it in my palm, and with my other hand, I gesture 
The irises are breathing. We are breathing. The breeze carries everything away and back. Every secret thought and longing, Emily's and mine, the foxes, the irises, the caterpillars, and it is enough. Six, a feathery cloud of flight twitters past, ascends to the rooftop, down to the grass, transmutes into half a dozen black-capped chickadees. Three, flit around the fuchsia, plum and ivory horns blaring. Two, to the bath, for a sip and quick cleansing. The solitary seeker drifts away. His wings pedal a deeper urge, propelling him across the porch into the twilight sun. Seven, oh look, someone has broken the strand, spilling the queen's pearls everywhere. They slide down the sheets of the sky, trace the curves of lily and leaf, shyly kiss our cheeks and hair. Emily grins, cups her delicate hands, still empty. And in the storm's splash and splatter, in its wind and fullness of life, we look up, raise our voices and our hands. We are full to brimming with joy. Emeralds gleam everywhere. Eight, in this secret, sacred place, hidden away, among the living, leafy, and winged things, named reclusive, named forgetful and forgotten, I am dancing with Emily Dickinson, dancing with silence. Nine, where and why geese fly, leave the land, the lake, the fog, half knowing. The end. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm stuck on this whole image of rain being the fullness of life and it filling up your hands and the joy and the feelings of that. It just... It's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I love. I it. just love the feeling of of the nature of all of that. It just because I, I love nature too, and and I'm just I'm right there with you as you described it so eloquently. Mm. Oh, thank you. <sighs> just it just centers me. Your poetry just like I said, it brings me to a in a place of a perspective that's just very very real, very genuine. So. Oh, I'm so uh, glad. Yeah. I'm going to ask you some more questions unless anybody, Jason, Peter, do you have any questions to ask Joan before I keep going? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> what haven't you written that, that you really want to write? It could, you could content, whatever. I'm curious to know that. Uh, 
I don't know. I Every now and then I try to write a story, but mm. I don't do well with that. So I just come back to poetry. I I don't know. That's that's a great question, Annie. I, <laughs> I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, well, okay. Well, let's move on to something else. Like, which which poems were the hardest to write and why? Or you can pick just one, if you know, or there's a couple. Um. Well, the poem about death was mm-hmm. really hard to write. I wanted a poem that was specifically named Death because um, this collection was going to contain my experience with my mother. And there's also... Um, a multi-part poem about my cousin Tammy, who who died suddenly, and um, during the the eight days of between her accident and her her death, um, or maybe it was more than that. I I wrote the various parts of that, so I mm. wanted something that would kind of center the theme without being morose, and it mm. it took many uh, versions. A lot of times, my poems kind of tumble out mostly as they end up being. But but that one was hard because I didn't want it to be depressing. I wanted it to be um, meaningful, but not depressing. So um, hopefully it's, it's that. I didn't find it depressing. I found it... Um I found it very meaningful, you know, and it brought me to my own experiences and, and let me, um, let me kind of reminisce without, without too much, uh, you know, (laughs) too much um, being morose. Yeah, it was more, it's more about connecting with the spirituality and the meaning of death. Um, For at least that's the way it was for me. So which. Anna, can I ask a, Andy, can I ask a, a question? Sure. Because yeah. uh, it, it ties in, you mentioned the word spirituality. Uh, and Joan, I have a sense that uh, there's a lot of spirituality through all of your writing and, and your poetry. And can you talk about where that spirituality springs from? Uh, thank you, Peter. Um, well, I, I think it just came from my life experience. I grew up and actually I was raised Catholic and and I was a sickly youngster, <laughs> but I always felt that God was nearby. My mom, when I was going through various health issues, said a lot of novenas, which are extended Catholic prayers. And um, you know, I went to Catholic school for three years, and I I knew about looking for spirituality. And then over my lifetime, I was never quite happy with what um, maybe it's organized religion uh, had to say for itself, you know, and I just kept reading and looking for my own path and eventually found Judaism and uh, went to graduate school to learn more about it. And even within Judaism, I still find myself kind of looking for my own little footpath, you know, and I think that's what spiritual seeking is all about. We can learn from each other and even read books and learn from religious leaders, but I think we really have to find our own path 
And Mm. that can take us deeper into nature where, of course, all of creation is represented or it can take us, you know, into a quiet room where we can look inside ourselves. But there's, there's spirituality in every fiber of human experience and living in the world. And I think it's just being open to that that can uh, bring those little shimmers of sweetness and delight <laughs> <laughs> into, into our own experience. And those are what we should share with each other, not necessarily the doctrines and things. You know, mm. it's, it's, that, mm. it's that sweetness and that I, means and so much. So I totally, I think that your poetry brings that forth very strongly you know you you have a narrative and a voice that's that's just just beautiful and unique and uh, i really appreciate it uh oh, as a reader i also wanted to ask you about um your poems are generally fairly short i mean uh, dancing with emily dickinson i think is one of your longest that i've read um correct me if i'm wrong um and i i want to know what place uh, the brevity of your poetry uh, means to you in, uh, in, a, in a sense of like mechanics and style. If you could share something about that. Oh, sure. So you're right. Emily Dickinson is a long poem, but it's actually nine little poems. <laughs> and I, <laughs> it was it was written as nine little poems and then suddenly I went oh yeah look there's this thread running through all these poems mm-hmm. so um I okay I don't know if it's my own style or my lack of poetic stamina but um <laughs> I tend to write little little experiential snapshots maybe and mm-hmm. Hope that it's a good way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, and hope that the reader will look in him into himself or herself for maybe a fuller exploration of things. the The poem "Walls" is pretty long, and that just kind of started. That's the one about being in a yes, a, having a sense of isolation, and that just started kind of as a, a rambling musing over what I could hear from my back deck. You know, now that was so. that was interesting, so interesting to, to me because it brought me back to thinking about my own parents and sandwich generation and and uh, you know all of that. I mean, it it was fascinating um, oh, where good. it t- it took it took me and my musings. <laughs> my first. Good, I'm glad. To <laughs> and that was that. all from listening off your back deck. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Over time, I mean, you know, but yeah. It, oh, okay. So, so like you would just go out like on your deck and then hear like a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I know there were some smells you were talking about, like Salisbury steak or something. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's yeah. What I thought. Of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I believe it was beef stew. Beef stew, yeah. right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as elegant as Salisbury steak. But yes, from my back porch, my back deck, um, kind of in a, a yard, catty corner away from us, um, in the summer especially, you can hear when the attendants take their breaks and they come outside to smoke. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's what I yeah, tried yeah. to cap- 
picture and you can hear the big trucks when they come with food supplies. Mm. And, and I just started thinking, what, what must it be like there? Um, I don't often hear the residents. And then um, in the summer when all the windows are open everywhere, you can hear things. And, yeah. and so it just took me through the whole. Hmm. Wow. Oh, no. So what did you leave out of your books? What did I leave out? Um, well, I have a lot of things that I'm thinking of putting in my next collection, but I haven't configured it quite yet. So I guess you'll have to stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So were you thinking about it? Like, oh, maybe I'll save this for the next one. Was that, was that, was that how you plucked it out and put it aside or? <laughs> no, it just, there were some things that just didn't fit when mm. I was going through, um, you know, the process of putting together the collection. I, um, and it, it just seemed to take uh, me anyway when I was reading away from this this general stream of consciousness, you know. So right. so I put them aside, and we'll see. Yeah. I'm you know maybe they don't fit anywhere. It's I think putting the collection together is probably the funnest and most challenging part. Sure, you can have these creative outbursts, and you end end up with you know, 50 poems or 150 poems over a year or so, but finding some kind of a, a thread that you want the reader to follow, some kind of an emotional or pic picturesque, um, imaginative journey, that to me is the most fun. And, you know, mm -hmm. rearranging them over and over and taking things out and putting them back in. And that to me is the creative patchwork. It's fun. Joan, would you like to read something else or would you like us to uh, just ask you some more questions? We'll fill up some more time. I have a, I have a question, if you don't mind. Um, sure, go ahead. Yeah. So um, you've talked a lot about your poetry, but I'm sort of curious about your life outside of poetry. You know, you've talked about your, 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 uh, your journey, spiritual journey towards Judaism. But I would really welcome learning about the rest of your life a little bit. You know, uh, uh, what what you do besides poetry, what you did before you wrote poetry, anything you think is relevant that will help us explain you as a as a as an as an author. Well, thank you, Peter. Um, well, I I guess the most uh, formative experience in my life, aside from losing my vision, was having children because as you all know they turn your world upside down and fill it back up again. Um, so that was a real growth experience. Um, and now having grandchildren is uh, even more delightful because I get to experience the children and see my daughter grow as a person, as a as a parent herself. That's it's really an interesting phenomenon. Um, moving to Oregon, again, was just about the best decision my husband and I ever made, aside from getting together, because it really, it forced us to kind of think outside the box and build our own life path away from family expectations and all that kind of stuff. And 
it brought us into a place where all of us, um, our kids included, could really experience the openness of nature and the world and everything, you know. Um, so aside from writing poetry, things I like to do are uh, I uh, I read a lot. I like reading biographies and poetry. And my husband and I play a lot of Scrabble. We have a Braille Scrabble set. And um, even though uh, the paint tends to fade off the raised letters, I don't know if you have experience with this, and my husband keeps blackening the the plastic, and I keep trying to get him to learn Braille, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) he's a little resistant, so... um, well, who's better? Yeah. Who wins more, you or him? It's funny. We can have these <laughs> ripping games of Scrabble where sometimes we're 100 points apart, but we usually end up within about 10 points of each other. So yeah. it's we're pretty well matched. Yeah, I would say which so. Is, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I lead a very quiet life. And um, I used to teach Hebrew and Judaics. That was a lot of fun. I used to prepare... 12-year-old girls and boys for their bar and bat mitzvahs, teaching them all the prayers of the uh, Friday night and Saturday morning services and all the melodies and how to chant and all that stuff. That was that was a lot of fun um, at our local synagogue here. And You like to um, sing? Do you? I used to sing a lot. My voice has changed a little bit and I can't quite come to terms with it. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I used to sing a lot. So, so now I write and make uh, word music. On make the word music. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with leading a quiet life either. Sometimes there's so much noise in the world that, I don't know, to me, the quiet is always quite welcome <laughs> when I can find oh, I, it. Oh, <laughs> I absolutely agree, Jason. That's, agreed. That's, that's what I aim for. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm... I tend to be a recluse by nature. So, um, you know, all this staying put is kind of welcoming to me, except for not being able to see my kids very often. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember if you said, when did you realize that nature was a, a big part of your experience and and made its way into your writing, but kind of picturing it kind of as a solace, a source of comfort? I think it always was, but growing up, where I did, I grew up in St. Louis, and there wasn't much of it. But I loved standing out in the middle of the yard when there was a big wind or wind and rain. I loved that. It just felt like a rush of life. Mm-hmm. And then um, we we took a two-week trip one year. We took the kids camping in South Dakota in the Black Hills. And that was phenomenal because the the ponderosa pine were so vast and uh, the distances mm-hmm. between things were so huge and um, you could just feel it. Um, I have enough light perception that I could see the the vast openness of the sky and I think that was that was a, a, a big trigger to my appreciation of nature's real meaning for me. And then when we moved here, it, it really solidified what, what it all meant. So, That's great. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. I hope it's that way for you, Jason. It is. Um, I I find that over the years, I just, I, I mean, I've always enjoyed the outdoors, but when you're a kid, you don't appreciate it quite as much as you do um, growing up and maybe taking stock of what you've gotten to experience and then looking for more. Um, I just feel like probably in my late teens yeah. until now, the appreciation just grows and, and it's just such a, a great place for me to be when I when I need some centering, which is sometimes often <laughs> these days. Sure, you bet. It's it's that's what it is. It it brings us back to who we really are. I think. Mm-hmm. So, so Joan, yeah. I'm curious. You, you talked about your your sort of introverted style um, and, and and how you you know the you wish you could see your kids more. I, I I'm just curious if there are other ways that this whole pandemic times has impacted the way you write or or. or um. Go ahead. That you write about, or you know, how how has the pandemic impacted what you know how you write or what you're writing about, if at all? Well, I've tried not to let it. Um, I think my focus is so different than world events. I do tend to, um, uh, well, I, I. I decided about four years ago that I needed to be a witness to what was going on in our country and the world. And so I've been paying special attention to, to all the news, but I try really hard not to live there. I need to know what's happening and respond to it in a meaningful way, but I really try not not to live there in my innermost innermost being. Um, and for a while, it was really difficult with the pandemic, but I found myself getting depressed and I thought I can't be any good to the people I, the few people I encounter, I can't be any good to them if I'm not in a better place. So I try really hard to to stay centered. And that means, you know, turning away from the noise, like you were talking about, Jason, and um, finding a quiet place regularly um, and um, standing out in the, in the middle of the yard when the wind is big and full of life, you know? Joan, I, I really, uh, I, I totally agree with that. And it makes me, uh, you know, finding a place of joy or a place of peace um, even a uh, just a place where you can you can be inspired and and uh, and know that it it's not um, shadowed by anything um, outside of ourselves. I think that was that's the hardest part for me during this whole COVID thing is yeah. keeping focused and finding the joy and and the in the grounding. Sometimes I feel like I I might I'm not grounded. Like there's yeah. there's there's like I'm in, like I'm in a uh, uh, a, a tornado or, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was like being, you know, spun around and, that, and it's so, so, so finding the joy and, and, and the focus has been, it's been hard. I think we need to, to work on that and, and to focus on those little moments, those connections between people and those little sparks, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I really, I really do perceive that there are different layers of spiritual reality um, and that we can help 
magnify the good and the sweetness by what we embody and what we focus on in our thinking and interactions. That's part of why nature is so important to me, because I think it it just mirrors all that beauty and life and delight that we can then reflect back to one another. Yes. Beautiful. Wow. Let's all sit with that. (laughs) (laughs) Have a little bit of meditation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It makes me feel more connected to you all. Just thinking about what you said, Joan. Oh, I'm glad. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. Great. Thank you. This has been Mm -hmm. just a lovely circle of conversation. And I, I really want to thank you all for having me. Oh, it was Absolutely. our pleasure. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, I have a question, um, but your kids are all grown up now and everything. Um, do, do they do they have similar or different career paths? I mean, what what like, you know, where did they go? Like, you know, did I just curious, like, you know, who's the lawyer? Who's the doctor? Who's the artist? <laughs> are they all artists? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, uh, we have two sons and two daughters, and they couldn't be more different from one another. Um, (laughs) Our oldest daughter is a Montessori teacher. I love Montessori. Yeah. And she has, she's the one with the two children. And um, our youngest daughter, our daughters are kind of the bookends of the group. Our, Our youngest daughter is the artist, but she also works for the Girl Scouts here in Oregon. Um, And she's a very free spirit, um, very outspoken. And uh, our oldest daughter is a little more conventional. And then our our sons, the oldest is um, a manager for Subaru here in uh, Salem and uh, has a very nice job and works really, really hard. And our younger son um, is a graphic designer and um, a musician. He has been in all kinds of bands and plays guitar and drums and, you know, so, um, and my husband's a musician. So um, not by profession, but they just pick things up and play them and Makes me really mad, you know, that I can't. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that's okay. So you know, we have lots of different personalities, and uh, it's it's really fun to see them all together. But maybe next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're having virtual Thanksgiving this year. Yes, I know. Us too. Mm. It's like okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, say hello yeah. on the TV screen and you know, the computer that's wave hello okay. and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's next year. We can yes. We can wait to all be there. Something to definitely look forward to. That's um, right. You know, mm-hmm. make plans for. And uh I can't wait to travel back to the West Coast and see my family. Um oh I can't wait. Just good. And you'll yeah. have to by. I, 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 yeah, it will. I will have to do a marathon um, West Coast um, <laughs> pit stops. I got to go to Washington, Oregon, and California. Because <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I would, I would love to meet you in person. Oh, oh definitely. 
yeah, I would not, I would not give that up if I had the opportunity for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, oh, well, um, you guys got any more questions for Joan? I um, think I'm all set. This has been yeah, very enjoyable. Good. Yeah. If we do have more time and if Joan is up to it, I think another uh, reading up another poem or two might be, you know, interesting and it might fill the interview out in a, in, in a different way that we can put in sort of at random. Um, uh, or if there's a poem, you think Joan might do a nice job entering the ending the interview. You know that that, that your uh, the, the the way you. you oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Uh, Joan, what do you think? <laughs> We're putting you on the spot. <laughs> I can do it if I can find my book. I set it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, I'll read. I'll read the second poem in the book. It's called Reflections. Yes, my head is in the clouds, and my feet reside there too. My eyes are another matter entirely. My eyes are fixed on the mirror, suspended in mid-air and etched into the moon's face. Clouds shift and configure themselves according to the wind and rain and my reflections configure me. The end. Mm. Very nice. Thank you. Well, we are coming to the end. Um, and I want to know, like, where can people get your books? And can you repeat your blog site? Sure. So my books are available in a paperback and ebook form at Amazon. And my blog is called Juniquely Myself. It's J-E-W-N-I-Q-U-E-L-Y myself, based on the fact that I'm uh, spiritually based in as a Jewish person. And I feel rather unique within that identity. It's Junique. And my poems can be read there and people can find how to access my books. And that's uniquelymyself.com? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. So you have the last well, word. Well, so I just want like to thank you. Yeah. What would you like to? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would love to thank you, Annie, for this, sure. this delightful and heart-stopping experience. <laughs> um. <laughs> was that exciting? Wow. What a roller coaster. <laughs> It wasn't as scary as I imagined it would be. Aww. And you made it all the sweeter. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Radio. It airs beginning every Saturday at 8 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. To listen and for a full schedule, go to www.acbradio.org slash mainstream. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at acbradio.org and please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month. Thank you.